The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy and Ken Campbell. We're brought to you by Christian Hockey. Lots to talk about in the hockey world. I think we got to start with what, what set the hockey world ablaze over the weekend, and that is the Taylor Hall discussion, the imminent Taylor Hall trade. We think it's imminent. The Devils have been holding him out of the lineup, and there's been talk of him being traded to maybe Arizona, Colorado. We don't know yet. But uh, I want to talk about that speculation and why you guys think it's taking a while. Because you know, usually when you get a player to a point where he's out of the lineup, you think something's going to be imminent. Uh, and I'm wondering if we're seeing a Mark Stone type situation where the deal is going to be part of an extension being signed. Or is that not the case because we know Darren Ferris is his agent and, and Ferris likes to get his guys to go to market. So let's start with that, fellas. Well, I, I don't think it's part of an extension. Um, that's not anything that I've heard from anyone that I've spoken to. Um, and I think, you know, obviously they'd have to get in touch with the agent to, to do that. So I, I don't think it's, it's a part of it. Um, and uh, I, I think this is strictly a rental and it's just taking time. I mean, it's taking time because they have time. You know, I mean, when you're up against the deadline, against the trade deadline, you've got to get it done and, and you do the best deal you can. Um, I, I think right now what's holding it up, I think I think New Jersey's asking price for everybody is a little high uh, for a guy who has six goals and is tied for 71st in scoring in the NHL, albeit tied with Mitch Marner and Tyler Sagan, <laughs> but a guy who hasn't produced that much this year and was hurt all last year. Um, I think that's what's holding things up is the, is, the, is the asking price. People are waiting for that to come down, and I don't think New Jersey's get, getting quite what they what they would have envisioned in this one. And, uh, and, and when they do bring that down, then, then I think things will, things will come into play or will sort of come to fruition a little more. And it is tricky because without that extension, obviously you can't necessarily get as much back. So mm-hmm. the Devils are in kind of a tough spot right now where you're going to want a first – you know, uh, pro- probably a roster player and a, a very good prospect. And then you have teams, I'm sure, that will push back and say, well, we can give you two out of three of those, yeah. but not all three. And, may, you know, you want our number one prospect. We're willing to give you our number three prospect. And I think what you've seen here is maybe there were a couple of front-running teams, but New Jersey wanted to obviously get as many suitors as possible because then you can cherry-pick the best deal you can. And that's going to take a little bit more time than just going with the first offer. Because as you said, you know they didn't have to get it done right this weekend. Yeah. They could afford to have him sit out. It's not like they were going to lose games they should have won because New Jersey hasn't been winning many games at all this season. And really at this point, if you're trading Taylor Hall, 
the mission is not to win games this season. The mission is to get maybe Alexi Lafreniere in the draft. Right, right. It's funny because you mentioned those three things. This when we were when we were a couple of years ago when my son was was going to university, they were talking about housing and they said the three C's: cheap, clean, and close. And you can get two of those three. And and now you're looking at prospect, player, and pick. draft pick. Yeah. So you're you're getting you're not getting all three of those. You're not getting all three of those for a rental. There's no way. I, I don't think. I mean, I want I, clean and close, baby. I, and especially like like if Taylor Hall has twenty two goals right now, maybe as a mm. rental. But you're getting only two of those, in in my opinion. You're getting either a prospect and a and a, and a decent roster player or a pick and a, you know, two of those, but yeah. not all three. And I think as well, there, there's maybe a fairest factor at play in terms of just you know when you when you rent a player. I still think from a psychological standpoint, in many cases, not all cases, but there's always still a glimmer of hope that hey, maybe this is a great fit. You never know. Maybe we'll end up re-signing this person. Yeah. Whereas with Hall, it's so clear that he's going to market that I think that might be bringing down the price a little bit in terms of what teams are willing to pay. What, because just psychologically saying, well, we know this player is only going to be on our team for X number of months. So if you're, you know, let's say you're Joe Sackick, do I want to surrender Connor Timmons for him? I think it's still... It creates a psychological effect, and I think it also puts more pressure on Ray Shiro to get a deal done sooner, say, before the NHL roster freeze, because if, if everyone knows this is a 100% rental no matter what, you want to get the maximum numbers number of games of Taylor Hall in terms of just his value. Right. Right. So, so for Shiro, I think if he's selling more games of Taylor Hall, he can ask for more. Right. Back. But if it's a deadline rental, then the price is going to go down even more. Right. Yeah. And, and if I'm teams going after Taylor Hall, do I, do I want to sign him for seven years at this point? I do I want to do that? Durability concerns, I think, are, are big warranted. durability yeah, yeah. concerns. Yeah, big time. Um, you know, look what happened. Look what's happened in San Jose with Eric Carlson, and we're going to talk about them later. Look what's happened there. I mean, are the they happy that they league. signed? That, are they happy that they signed Eric Carlson for, to a seven-year deal? Mm. It feels like five years is the new seven. Well, years. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's precedent set by Austin Matthews, and I think it, overall it's a good thing, right? We've said for years. I think you guys were ahead of me on this. To you know, teams pay guys like the older UFAs, they get paid for what they've what they've done rather yeah. than what they're going to do, which mm. really doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. But in this new era of guys getting to unrestricted free agency younger. We're seeing guys that are going to get paid for their best years, which is kind of best for both sides. I right. Think. Whereas yeah. Hall is still part of the previous generation, having signed a longer-term deal before. So it's hard to say. Is is that contract, if it's a seven-year deal, are you going to be paying him just for his decline years? It's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. I think Kopitar mm-hmm. is a contract you look at, even though you know he is bouncing back a bit this year, but he's been up and down. And that's largely because he signed a, an eight-year deal right when he finished his yep. prime years. Yep. Yep. Uh, right now, there's a hearing coming up for Joel Farabee of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, if you're not watching us live right now, the, the actual suspension might be official or, or it could be a fine. Probably going to be a suspension, though. Uh, the hit was late on Matthew Perot. Perot was in concussion protocol. And it seems like you get a lot of these where it, the player delivering the blow almost is surprised that he gets in trouble because he thinks he's just finishing a check because he's been taught to finish a check. And yes, there, you know, it's not like it was a hit from behind. He was staring down Matthew Perot. But f- from our standpoint, I think it was kind of a blindside hit because it was yeah. late enough that Perot wasn't ready for it, but yeah. where do you draw the line between finishing a hit and blindsiding someone? I feel like it's becoming a problem, and that's why you're seeing guys like Matthew Bro get concussed. Well, there are there are a bunch of guys out right now with the ubiquitous UBI, upper body injuries. There's tons of them out. I, I, by my count, there's been 14 
and seven confirmed concussions to this point. So it is a problem. It, there's a there's a hitting problem in the NHL right now, and I know people don't want to hear that, but there's a hitting problem in the NHL right now. Um, that one to me is 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 an easy one. That that's not a fine line. That was late. He had time to react. I believe mm-hmm. he had time to let up. And he didn't. And so for me, that's not a fine line. The ones that are fine lines are the uh, Borietsky on, um, I can't remember who it was, when when he kind of went down and then Borietsky went to hit him and he had already committed to the hit. And mm. by that time, his head was down, so he hit his head into the boards. Those are the ones that are, are the fine line. This one, to me, isn't, isn't a fine line, in my opinion. Yeah, and what gets me about the Farabee hit is that he didn't have to go... At Perot, like Sean Couturier had Perot covered. Right. And I mean, the play was going the other way, anyways. And obviously, Perot had already dished the puck off, but there was no threat. Mm-hmm. In Perot doing something at that point. And well, I think you, he had kind of sl- didn't he kind of slew foot somebody or something just well, before that. Is and he went and Farabee went after him. I think for that. I think he was standing up for somebody. Oh, Perot had also mistaken. just played the puck, but he was done playing the puck. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. I'm, Farabee I'm, I'm, yeah, fought no, I'm, Marcus yes, Foligno in yes, another. Right. Yeah, yes. That yes. Another. That I'm. That's the one I'm thinking right. of. And that was the day before. Yeah. And he got filled in. He got. Mm-hmm. Three shots to the head right there. Yeah, I, you, you know, I'm not. I'm not I, yeah, 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 when I'm not. I'm when not, you're any age, really. Yeah, right. Really. And I'm not. I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions here, but did that have something to do with it? You never know. know. And, and I do think this is an example that's pretty cut and dry. And I did. I wanted a refresher, so I did talk to the league about it this week, and just to get an idea of the parameters. And it is there is sort of an unofficial. It's point six zero point six seconds is the unofficial parameter for what's. A threshold of late, not late, but it doesn't apply in all situations. It applies more when after the .6 mark is when a player starts initiating a hit. That's mm. when. It, so if it's a guy's in the middle of a hit and he's already winding up, and then the .6 seconds comes before impact, that's not a hit that the league considers particularly violent or, or sinister. But in this case, the .6 seconds had long passed, and then you're starting your yeah your, your hit when the play is right. has has right. long gone. Right. So this right. is one that's cut and dried, but it does make you wonder. There, you know, there are certain ones that are closer plays, and it's like, do you think that the, should the rule book be changed that no matter what, if if a hit, if there's any contact point six, it's a penalty or it's a suspension? I'm not sure. It might keep guys safer. Something yeah. to consider at least. The only thing I would say about that is if it's too quick like if you're if, if you if it doesn't matter how much time you had then i worry that players would get injured trying to avoid contact yeah. which is why i think mm. how it is now if you have the point 6 then i feel that's reasonable that everybody involved understands like okay well he was finishing his hit it's a really fast game you talk to NHLs I mean the game's never been faster and these guys have never been bigger so you combine those two things and Sometimes you're in for a world yeah. of hurt. And especially just the speed of the game. Often, you know, we break down these plays in slow motion, so it looks like a guy has time to ponder his existence before right. then deciding to hit. And Did you, I you leave do a lot of cherry on? picking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But really, it's like bang, bang is how quickly it happens. Mm-hmm. Although, this is a case where I don't think it was. It was like bang, bang. And that's yeah, why yeah, the whole therapy's yeah, yeah. in trouble. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get to our next topic, just a reminder we're taking live questions. So log into Twitter, Facebook, whatever you use, and fire a question our way. Maybe we'll give it a try. Uh, let's talk Ilya Kolchuk. So today, the saga between him and the Kings appears to be finally ending. He's being placed on unconditional waivers. It's going to be a mutual contract termination. Uh, so I, let's talk about a few different things when it comes to Kovalchuk. First, do we think that this is the end of him in the NHL? We know that he has interest in returning to another team, although he does have a KHL offer on the table already. So 
let's start with that. Do we think there is a fit somewhere for Kovalchuk in the NHL right now, or is he done? I think there, if he was willing to go anywhere and do so on a, a very minimal contract, then he could find work. I wonder if the Edmonton Oilers would be interested. They need a little bit of depth on the wings. Or you look at, like, Ottawa, Detroit, teams at the bottom where you just need a guy. And, and, but and L.A. Kobe, just needed a guy. <laughs> yeah, and he's not good enough to all, play for one of the worst teams in the league. And, well, then he can't play. Yeah. Yeah. See, right I, now, I Kobe is, yeah, you can only play for a bad team because you can't help a good team. See, right? I, I'm, I say the exact opposite. I think you can only help. You're not good enough to play for a bad team because you can't play those minutes anymore. You mm-hmm. can't keep up with the game. So I think he needs to be used like Luke Robitaille on the 2001-2002 Detroit Red Wings mm-hmm. when he's just, you just park him on the power play, put him, surround him with talent, just park, just trot him out there. Maybe you only use him for power plays just to finish off chances yeah. created by other really good players. So that's my reverse Kovalchuk Interesting. suggestion. Interesting, okay. Kenny? No, I think he's. I think he's done. I thought he was done before he signed with LA. Before he signed with <laughs> yeah. LA. Yeah, yeah. He, oh, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He yeah. was, and he is. And and I, I, I just, I, I can't see a contender really thinking that this guy could really, really help them in a big mm. way. Like you've got to be able to. In today's NHL, that 2001, 2002, that's a long time ago. Um, you've got to be able to do more than that now, yeah. I think. I think you've got to be able to contribute. And if you if you can only contribute one thing and you're that one-dimensional and, and you're not even – like the team's not even sure you can do that, I think that's a bit too much of a risk. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I'm only yeah. half serious yeah. about my idea, yeah. but yeah. something to consider. Uh, and the other thing I'm wondering about when it comes to Kovalchuk is, you know, this is a guy that before he, he did his temporary retirement and left the Devils, uh, I guess it's been how many years now, five or six, seven years ago, uh, he was on a very clear Hall of Fame trajectory. He was one of the best goal scorers of his generation, probably number two of his generation uh, behind Alex Ovechkin. Uh, he won a Rocket Richard Trophy, and he was a lock to get things, you know, the milestones like 500 goals, 1,000 points. And it feels to me now like this this return is really kind of just leaving. It's going to leave a bit. I'll put it this way. If he's played his final NHL game, hmm. it kind of leaves a sour taste in the mouth, like the way he, he came back. But I'm wondering, will that affect his chances at the Hall of Fame? Uh, because if you look at the resume, he's still, you know, 436 goals. Uh, he's won Rocket Richard. He was a first-team All-Star, a second-team All-Star. He was top 10 scorer in the league five times, top 10 in goals eight times. He won two Gagarin Cups. And don't forget, if you're in the KHL, that still counts as your Hall of Fame resume. It's not the NHL Hall of Fame. It's the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, did win an Olympic gold and MVP of the Olympics, but in my mind... Not all Olympics are created equal. And mm-hmm. again, the Hall of Fame voting is a subjective process. So you can look at that and say, well, he won the fake Olympics with Olympic athletes from Russia and there were not NHLers competing against him. So I personally don't count that as part of his resume. That said, I also think that is a Hall-worthy resume. Do you guys think he's a Hall of Famer at this point? I think it's borderline. And, and what I would say is, I mean, you're right that it. I mean, he did some great things <clears throat> in Russia and internationally, but... The Hall of Fame committee is overwhelmingly Canadian and overwhelmingly NHL-centric. So you got to think about what they're going to think. It's tough because he played, you know, like his peak years were some of the worst years of NHL hockey, like, you know, objectively speaking, which is not his fault he was born when he was. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of numbers, not a lot of excitement. 
for me, the big problem is he only had one serious playoff run his entire NHL career. That's when he went to the final with the New Jersey Devils against Los Angeles. And it was a great playoff run, but it was, I think it was the only time he got out of the first round. You know, like Atlanta got swept mm-hmm. in four games once, and I think he made the playoffs one other time. To me, it's like, okay, you scored goals, but how many of them actually mattered for anything? Right. So I look at him kind of on the same plane as like a Danny Heatley, uh, where, you know, Heatley had one great run with the Ottawa Senators. He put up a lot of goals in a very unexciting, uninspiring time. Um Obviously, there's some off-ice stuff with Heatley that could contribute to people going against him for the Hall. But I just I don't get excited about those names. Right. Like when I think right. of the Hall of right. Fame, right. and I, I already think the Hall of Fame's diluted as is. Big time, big time. So I mean, if it was my Hall of Fame, no. But you can also do the whataboutism of well, Dino Cicerelli's in it. So, but that I feel that's the wrong way to look at. Me it. too. Me too. I I I don't think that you correct the Hall of Fame mistakes by making more, more mistakes. More mistakes. Yeah. You just don't. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you 100%, Ryan, on almost everything you said. I, I He just doesn't scream Hall of Fame to me at all. Interesting. He, I'm, he's I'm border, he's borderline at best, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I think a big part of it is the lack of a playoff resume. No, it's, you know, it's not his fault that he didn't that he didn't play for good teams. You know, it wasn't Marcel Dion's fault either. Mm. You know, I mean, it wasn't Marcel Dion's fault that maybe the Canadians could have picked him instead of Guy Lafleur, and he would have won all those Stanley Cups, and Guy Lafleur wouldn't have won any of them. Ooh, that'd be you a know? fun what uh, if. Yeah, no, yeah. I've, al- I've always thought history. about that one. Wow. Um, yeah, to me, it's it's the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of really good. And I'm not on the same page with you with the KHL. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. It's an inferior league. Yeah. If you want to compare guys who played in Russia – at a time when they couldn't play in the NHL, and then, then then yeah, fill your boots. I mean that yeah. then it's a, a comparable league. KHL is not even not even in the same area code as the NHL. Yeah. It's not yeah. even as good as the American Hockey. I mean, league. The, it's not like it counts the like. I'm not saying a guy yeah, cup yeah. is a Stanley Cup, but yeah. maybe it's five percent of a Stanley Cup. Yeah, maybe it it's like maybe. a college yeah. cup. It's a okay. little sprinkle. Okay, yeah. so I'll, I'll give you that. But but yeah. it's yeah, I, I I don't think that that is something that should be a. a a mitigating factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, to be washed at 35, also sort of like, oh. 36. Like, no, he was washed last year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, hey, I'm 36. I'm washed. Yeah. You're, you're My playing My back really hurts going. right now. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to defend Eli Kovalchuk, and I'm someone who's traditionally been known as a very strict guy. I, like, I would chop the Hall of Fame in half. Uh, and I think he does pass the test. He was top ten in goals eight times. Like to me, he's—I would much rather see Kovalchuk in the Hall of Fame than Patrick Elias or Daniel Alfredson, Patrick Marlowe. Mm-hmm. I feel like all yeah. three of those guys are going to get in someday. And I, I think Kovalchuk's peak was a lot higher, a lot more consistent than them. Top five in points five times. Alfredson could never sniff that. Elias could never sniff that. But he never hit a hundred points. Never uh, hit ninety-eight. Which is not 100. Yeah, yeah. That's, but that's, that's 52 goals. Than yeah. <laughs> right? But Elias never hit 100 points either. No, I don't think Elias is a Hall of Famer either. Yeah, yeah, no, but but, no, I, think, but a lot, I think a lot of people make the argument that he is, and I, I don't think he is. They're from New Jersey. <laughs> but And same thing for you know Patrick Marley, for the longevity argument. I think people mm. are going to want him in the Hall. He never had a 90-point season, never no. had a 50-goal season, no. yeah. never had 100 points. Those are, all, those are all like... 
Hall of very the Hall good. of really good. Right. The and Hall of really good. Kovalchuk was Kovalchuk had had 41 goals during peak absolute peak dead puck era. Mm. Uh, I, I think I think that you guys are misremembering. This is the this is the very thing I think is going to happen to him. People are going to misremember how good he was. And that one of his last years in New Jersey, didn't he have like nine shootout? Winners or something. Remember that? I remember you writing about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, all yeah. the winning and, goals. And he, he did basically he basically should be in the David Clarkson Hall of Fame because he made David Clarkson X million dollars <laughs> right, right. that new deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think just Ilya Kovalchuk he, he, indirectly ruined the Toronto Maple Leafs <laughs> for five years. <laughs> he was an all-world talent. He was. He was one okay. of the best players in the world at his peak for multiple seasons. So he's in my Hall of Fame. Okay, hey guys. Fair yeah. enough. All right. All right. Uh, San Jose Sharks. This is this. We can we can make this a segment now. Like the fired coach of the week. There's one every single podcast. Right. That we're like, oh, since right. the last Brought podcast, to you, yeah, so and so was fired, and there's another one. Oh, Steven's got a comment. Well, just make a guess who's gonna get fired this week. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Next, oh, I don't know. Who's that counts as slander nowadays. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. We don't want to say it. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know exactly. <laughs> but in the the carousel, the latest coach to go down since our last podcast was Pete DeBoer in San Jose. For hockey reasons. For hockey reasons. And it's important. Actually, wait. I think Jim Montgomery went down since the last podcast as well. There's Very possible. Two, there's yeah. two firings since last, yeah. last podcast. Um, but the, we're focusing on the Sharks rather than the Stars. The stars were doing well. So it wasn't, you know, for Montgomery, it was, non, it was non-hockey reasons. For DeBoer, it was hockey reasons. Uh, Bob Bugner's getting a chance to try and write the ship and do what Craig Brubray did last year. Uh, but I don't know. I look at the Sharks team, and I've been saying it for years and years that this is finally the year. And I know I've said this on the podcast before, but it's still pretty funny when Joe Pavelski said to me last year, it was like, yeah, I remember when you said two years ago that we were finished, and then we made the cup final. I was like, oh, yeah, because I was asking him if they were, if he was worried they were finished yeah. then. Yeah. So every year it does seem like it's going to happen, but I feel like maybe, no, 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 this is the year that the Sharks are done. Mm. That's the theory I'm putting out there, and do you guys agree? It's it's hard to tell because their goaltending's been so bad. Uh-huh. You know, I, I mean, I, I I would tend to think that that you know you finally hit the jackpot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, that that looks it sounds and it looks like that's that's the case. But how how do you know how good this team is? How do you mm. know how good or bad this team is when the goaltending has been so 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 bad? I mean. I, I, I think that's that's one of those things where it's where it, it that really muddies the picture for it me. Does. It really does. Mm. And uh, I, I just you know, if you have like even a an above average goalie behind this team, do they are they in the playoffs right now? Are they contending? If you have a top tier goalie, you know, one of the top five goalies in the league, are they you know? Are they among the leaders? I don't know mm. uh, because the, the goaltending just has, has has really muddied that whole situation for me. Yeah, I think they're done for this season, but I don't think that excludes future seasons. Like, I don't think they need to do a full-scale rebuild. I think they've already laid some foundations of rebuilding on the fly, and I know a big part of the season was going to be to give the young kids a shot at establishing themselves. It hasn't really happened. And then, of course, they brought back Patrick Marlowe, which takes up a roster spot that could go to somebody half his age. Um, maybe not literally, but pretty close. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 No, I'm just thinking he's 38, 39. He's 39. Or he might be. He's 40 now. Is he's he's 40 39. Now? Yeah. But I forget. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. anyway, so legally it couldn't be a 17-year-old because yeah. they can't be drafted yet. But anyways... 
you look at what they're doing right now, and they're kind of caught in the middle where, yeah, goaltending, horrible. But then, like, Marlowe and Thornton are both playing about 15 minutes a game, which is not egregious. That's kind of like third, maybe second line minutes. But they have, I think, 23 points total between the two of them. You need to at least... And however many goals the other guy has, that's what they have. Right, right. Because Joe has zero. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, you you need to move on from that era eventually. And it feels like it's time to move on from that era. You get two more kids up from the Barracuda to take a shot at a roster spot, start getting some reps, you know... You've got Logan Couture, you've got Evander Kane, you've got Thomas Hurdle, you've got Kevin LeBanc, you've got Timo Meyer. You've got a nice stable of forwards. And, of course, on the back end, you've got the veteran presence of Burns, Carlson, and Vlasic. So you've got a lot of good elements, but you have to turn the page. And I think that's what the Sharks have not done yet. And for Bugner, it just feels like he's going to be a caretaker until the roster gets itself sorted out. And... I don't think he can do much wrong here, and but I also think that his ceiling's kind of limited because he can't stop pucks. He's behind the bench. Yeah. Right. Uh, and you've got roster spots being taken up by veteran players who are obviously beloved in San Jose and are, both are going to have their jerseys retired maybe as soon as next year, but they have to be not playing for the team first. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm... Uh, I would qualify as pretty worried because, you know, everything you're saying, Ken, I think absolutely applies about the goaltending. But I think that was how you described last year's San Jose Sharks, a team that had a lot of talent and terrible goaltending. So are they going to be okay? And now I just think with losing Joe Pavelski and even just like the depth guys like Don Scott, I think that the damage to their depth was irreparable this this summer. And especially when, you know, Thornton and Marlowe, you cannot count on them to be true core players anymore. Uh, so a lot of the, the veteran contingent of the roster is aging out of relevance. And even if you look at just the way their money is tied up now, it's $26.5 million on their top three defensemen who are 29, I believe, 29, 32, and 34 mm. uh, age-wise. So that group is aging out of its prime years, and there's just a huge amount of money tied up in them. And if you look at the Sharks' prospect pool, and again, this is never, whenever I say this, it's never a criticism. It's just it's the symptom of winning for many right. years in a row and only having missed the playoffs once in the last, I don't know how many seasons, right? Um, you the, the Sharks, our, our panel of, of, of uh, GMs and scouts last year, they ranked the Sharks' farm system 30th out of 31 teams. And since then, there's been another draft in which the Sharks did not have a first-round pick, if I remember correctly. I yep. believe that went to Ottawa in the Carlson trade. Right. Right, so, and they've traded away Josh Norris as well. Uh, so you have Merkley, who is not considered a can't-miss prospect by any means. He's, he's volatile, extremely talented, kind of like a Tony D'Angelo yep. type of prospect. Uh, and... Just the the depth of what's coming up, and you're also getting you know guys like Sasha Chimlevsky getting talked up because you have no choice but to try and shoehorn those guys into like top prospect roles. We don't really know if that's what they are. So I think I feel like I'm saying this about every team these days that's struggling. You got to bottom out. You got to bottom out. But it is sort of the way, especially not just because you want to get good players, but even salary wise, you want to get great players who are on entry level deals, right? So I just think the Sharks they're gonna. I don't know, have to languish in that maybe pseudo decline for a few more seasons. Mm. I don't know if they're going to turn around this time. From from, I, I wonder if, I wonder if we're not looking at 
Detroit South. Yeah, Detroit. Exactly. Oh, like Detroit, Detroit, three Detroit years ago. South. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It, right with right down to the onerous contracts and and the decline, and then and then you see them hang on for a couple of years, like Detroit did. Maybe right. make a playoff. Maybe make a run for a playoff. We're in the Pacific Division, and then it's the big bottom out, which right. is to me the worst place to be. Like it, it's like yeah. you couldn't be further from a cup because you haven't even like you've already hit the peak of the roller coaster and you're about to start the. <laughs> you know, whereas Detroit now is like the roller coaster has crashed and it's tipped over on the ground, which is great. That's and we're underwater. Yeah, that's perfect. Whereas the shark is like the sharks are about to. They're on that precipitous. Yes, I believe so. But, you know, they've proven us wrong many times before. We'll see. Uh, Buffalo Sabres have been quite the story where started out strong. They started to slump. We thought, oh, oh, here we go again. Now, the last 10 games, they've lost one game in regulation. Jack Eichel is playing the best hockey of his career by far. Uh, and it's kind of fun because it, it's something we have never gotten to do, really, is have a Jack Eichel heart trophy discussion. Yeah, which, yeah. To me, he's absolutely in the mix now. Without question. Top five candidate. Uh, I think he's got 15 goals in his past 16 games. He's playing almost 22 minutes a night. Uh, even just little things like his face-off percentage is still below 50%, but it's the highest it's ever been. So he's clearly working on rounding out other areas of his game. So where do you put him in the heart race right now? Is he Would he be a finalist? Absolutely. Without yeah. without question, he's a finalist. Because you look at Dreisaitl and McDavid, they have each other. You look at Pasternak and Marchand and Bergeron, they all have each other. What does Jack Eichel have? You know, I mean, he's he he's doing this largely on his own. In a big way, like mm. like I keep track of this stuff, and Grandpa's got to take his glasses off again for a minute. Um, on first goals, we all agree it's pretty Sorry. important. How how good are these glasses that you have to take them off? Like, did, <laughs> they're for seeing far okay. away. I was uh, gonna say, did somebody dupe you? You're yeah, like, no, no, wait, no, wait, hang no, on a no, sec. No. I gotta yeah. see. Let me take no, off my glasses. No, rather than have the bifocals. Okay. I'm like, right. somebody, somebody really like duped you on like the sale. Let me put on my hearing okay, glasses. So. So we all agree that first goals are pretty important, right? Yes. Okay, he has 10 points on first goals, tied with Pasternak, one behind Dreisaitl. T- uh, 20 points on goals that put the Sabres ahead in the game. Mm. Tied for first with Marchand. Mm. 10 points on goals that have tied the game, first in the league. 10 points on goals that put them ahead for good in the game, which are the true game-winning goals, in my opinion. Uh, he's tied with Jacob Vrana and Dreisaitl. Uh, one behind Marchand. So he's in the top two in all of those categories. To me, he's he's right there. He's right there. He he may, you know, I mean, he may be the guy. He may win mm-hmm. it if he keeps this up. Yeah, and the, the statistic I'm looking at is that he's 18 points clear of his nearest teammate right. in terms of scoring. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the next two highest scorers on the Sabres are his line mates, mm-hmm. Victor Olison and Sam Reinhardt. Right. Yeah. So you look at what Jack Eichel is doing. He's driving the entire offense, and it's not even close. And, yeah, I think you look, and it's, it's probably Eichel, McKinnon, McDavid yeah, at this those point. Those would be my three. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting down the stretch because mm-hmm. Colorado, I think we can safely say, is a playoff team. Edmonton, I mean, they they put themselves in a good position in the first quarter of the season, but now it's they're slowing down a little bit. It's looking a little dicey there. They but gotta, they got to rely on their goalie too much lately. Yeah, and with Buffalo, they're in a very good position as well. So it may come down to, okay, who makes the playoffs? How integral were they to the overall scope of things? I'm not sure if this is necessarily the year where the person with the most points wins. Mm-hmm. I, I, I certainly think that'll be a factor, but 
just the, you look at how important he has been to that team, and to me, that's the dictionary definition of this award. I think you're right, and I, I have to do it. I have to make a movie reference here. It's going to remind me of the, 19, oh, the 1969 no. Oscars when Midnight Cowboy won Best Picture, but Dustin Hoffman and John Voight both canceled each other out. They were they were Marshan and Pasternak, and John uh, Wayne won, and what? they were both way better, but they... They split the vote. How can something remind you of something that happened when you weren't even born? Time machine, like it, man. No, but you can't like say it reminded me of something. That that'd be like it, it reminded me of World War Two. Like, what are you well, talking you were alive about? For World War Shut up! Uh, you walked into that one. You just served that yeah. one. Bow. I also had a John Wayne win an acting award. Oh, I know. It, it was BS. Like it, wow. he won it. It's one of the all-time travesties. Wow. Yeah. Is it really? Eh? Yeah. Wow. Holy cow. But it's because that's like Carey Price winning the. Winning the Hart Trophy over Jerome McGinley. Or you mean Jose jo- Theodore. Jose Theodore, yeah, or him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or him. Yeah. Jose Theodore, yeah, yeah or him. Yeah. That that's, like, that's like getting the names wrong. That's like what someone who was from World War II would that's, say. That's Wait, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shrapnel. No? He's not Shrapnel. Wrong, though. He did beat a gun. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, let's take some live questions now, okay, fellas? So the first one's from Jimmy James. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy James asks, Will with, with John Carlson pretty much running away with the Norris Trophy, who would be the other two nominees at this point? Well, first of all, not nominees. They're finalists. Yep. When yeah. they're announced, they haven't been nominated. They've already been voted on. Okay, so they're finalists. It's different than, say, the Oscars, where the, no- the people are announced and then the voting happens. Okay, second Oscars reference. Uh, I'm going to say Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, for from Carolina is. I think he's in really good shape to get an. Uh, uh, I was about to say nomination, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's really shown that you know the more responsibility he gets, he's been a guy who always was just not entrusted with as much ice time or enough ice time to to match his talent level, mm. especially in Calgary. Uh, and now the minutes are going up, the power play time's going up, and we know he's a really gifted goal scoring defenseman. And I think his all around game has been long underrated. He's not as, as physical as you'd think from a guy his size, but you don't have to be in today's NHL. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Dougie Hamilton guy. Mm. I think we we still have to consider Kale McCarr as well. You guys are well. both my guys. Who am I supposed to say now? <laughs> well, that's okay. You just yeah. say correct. Yeah. 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 Correct. Yeah. Say John Carlson. Yes. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Kale McCarr, obviously a front runner for the Calder Trophy, but I mean... The kid just makes it happen out there, mm-hmm. and he's been so good for the Avs that I, I think John Carlson is still the favorite, yeah, for sure. And maybe Dougie Hamilton's a strong too, but I think you have a, a, at least have to consider Kale McCarr in that company. Yeah, for sure. I think I think Kale McCarr could be the finalist for three awards this year. Ooh. He's going to win the Calder, in my opinion. He's going to be. He could be a finalist for the Norris, and he's got no penalty minutes. I thought you were going to say Hart. I was like, here comes the hot, the hottest. Yeah, no, 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 no. Car no, no. over McKinnon. Okay, we, okay. I, I got to think we're forgetting somebody though. There's got to be somebody we're forgetting. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. There yeah. Is. There's yeah. got to be somebody out there like. Well, yeah. When it's live, we're still, you know. Yeah, and this is the first I've heard this question. I mean, so. the other thing I, is, I've been going through my mind trying to think of guys on other teams that maybe like Petrangelo. Yeah, he's in been St. Good. Louis. Yeah, uh, and even I mean even. Quinn Hughes is playing so well that the fact that yeah. Quinn Hughes is starting to enter the discussion to compete for the Calder with yep. McCarthy. If he's competing for the Calder, then he mm-hmm. should be, you never know, he could be yep. competing yep. for the yep. Norris. It's early, but you just never know. Uh, next question. Oh, wait, Steven's got some, he's waving his hand. He's got some factoids. A couple names that Jared gave us a while back. Uh, Miro Heiskin and Ryan Ellis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you can't go wrong with either of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Or it's too far away. And Ellis yeah. is interesting because he's someone who just 
his his opportunity is never as much as you think because of the way the Predators deploy their defense and Roman Yossi gets so much also just power play run too because he's like a fourth forward on the ice and Ellis was always sharing time with P.K. Subban so this was a chance for him to blossom so I don't think it's a big surprise that he's blossomed I don't know why I'm, I'm looking into Steven's eyes <laughs> as I say this <laughs> but yeah it makes sense uh, next question is from Angry Punishment would you be for or against NHL expansion into Europe and Asia. To me, it's it's very different from seeing how close we're getting to NFL expansion when it's one game a week. You can see, mm-hmm. I mean, we the teams do it every year where multiple teams go and play a game in London and they go through basically a full week-long routine of practicing and getting acclimated to the time zone change. And then often you, they have a bye week, I think the week after. So it really doesn't disrupt the season too much for a team. But in the NHL, I know... It's almost like if you could magically create a, a division of multiple European teams and you could have a team do a road trip and play all those teams the, the same way you do a Western road trip or East or, you know, a Western team goes East, it could work. But I think right now it would be just, it would be murder. The travel schedule would be murder for that team that's, o- that's overseas. And then it would also really disrupt the season for the team traveling. We saw the teams that went to, you know, they go to China yeah. or Sweden for a game. Mm, it's yeah. all, this season in particular, it's really messed up the schedules where you have a, you have one team with 28 games played, another team with 20 games played, and then their schedule gets really condensed later. And I, I don't think logistically it's time yet, personally. Yeah. And for me, I just, I like that there's other leagues around the world and I feel if you went into NHL expansion that would kind of infringe upon that like we've already seen that a bit in Finland when Joker it left the Finnish league to play in the KHL I know there was a lot of bad feelings in Finland about that happening and you know the ramifications I think we're still seeing them so I, I like the fact that there's a Swedish league that's just Swedish teams and you know there's a Finnish league, and even the KHL. I know the KHL is not just Russia, but it feels like at least their footprint right now makes sense, even though Russia geographically is so huge that there are some horrible road trips. But you know, we're we're hearing talks about like Paris having a team in the KHL, and it's like, don't do that. Like, yeah, no. it's it's a big name city. I get that, but I don't think it's going to help your product. I don't think it's going to cause a ton of Parisians to like stop going to. Saint Germain soccer games, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, Avantgarde's in town! Fantastic!" You know, like just know your know your people mm-hmm. and stick with that. And for the NHL, I mean, we're pretty much at all the markets we need, I think. And there's a couple of markets that could have teams that they're your backups if something goes horrendously wrong in another city. But once Seattle comes in, you got 32 teams. I think what you would rather have is there be too much talent for the NHL than not enough. And right now I think we're in a good place as Vegas yeah. showed, but that's good for me. Yeah, to me, you know, I I wrote about this in a blog last week. The NHL has shown no no imagination or commitment to growing the game globally in my opinion. And you can just see that with the fact that oh, 2021 we well, we were going to have a World Cup, but uh, now we're not. And maybe we'll have one in 24 and 28 but you know maybe not you know maybe we'll go 16 years again without a world cup and and then we're not going to the olympics either so yeah so Mm -hmm. i've seen no no commitment from the nhl to grow the game globally i I don't see this happening even within the next couple of decades Mm -hmm. i think like once they once they get teleport technology figured out in the year like 2084 then sure you can teleport teams to australia to play a game if they want but we're a ways away from that so how do you know how far we're away from that? I don't know. Mm, I've been working point. on something in, in my basement. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> awesome. 
His head's on backwards. Oh, my God. Uh, next question is from David Barassa. And David says, Timothy Lilligren was just recalled. Looks like he's having a good Sorry, season boys. with the Marlies. Ken's getting some texts. Uh, do you think he's ready to make an impact for the Leafs? Well, the good news is, Timothy, the bar is not particularly high on that Leafs defense score. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. depending on what you mean by impact, uh, will he be an NHL caliber addition to the blue line based on what the Leafs already have? I think probably yes. Uh, the other thing is he's very familiar with Sheldon Keefe. And uh, you kind of feel for Lilligren as a guy whose career has never really been able to take off. He's had a lot of you know, illnesses, injuries. One thing after another has happened to him. Uh, so this could be the year where there's finally enough momentum for, momentum for him to get a full season in. And if that's the case, maybe it's going to be the breakout year. I don't know if he's being rushed or not. Uh, I'm a bit surprised to see him recalled right now. But at the same time, nobody knows him better than Sheldon Keefe in terms of coach-wise, right? So Keefe would know if he thinks he's ready and his, his game can translate to the NHL level. And I don't know. There's just nowhere to go but up on that blue line, I think. Hmm. Well, I think Justin Hall showed on the weekend that he was ready for more responsibility. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, if we're going to be honest, the player that would probably need to spend some time in the press box is Cody Ceci. But how how young do the Leafs want to go on their back end? That's a a very good question. I think with Liljegren, you know, from what I've seen on the Marlies this year, he's been good. And his decision-making is getting better. But ideally, I think he still needs a little more time with the Marlies. And, you know, Rasmus Sandin has been loaned out to Sweden's World Junior team. So obviously he's not going to be the call-up. But to me, like if the Leafs desperately needed somebody to fill in, Sandin would probably be ahead of Liljegren, even though he's younger. I, I still think Liljegren is good. I just think he's slowly refining his game, and it's coming. But... Ideally, I think if Liljegren was going to earn a spot on the Leafs' blue line, it would be next year, not in the middle of this season. And and if he were ready, he would have already earned it. He had the opportunity. He's had the opportunity. Especially as a righty. Yeah, where I way, mean, I mean, Sandine I mean is way more if, he, if he were ready for the yeah. NHL, he would have been there by now. Yeah. And and he's not. So that, that indicates to me that he's, he's not ready. I mean, he's been in the minors for a couple of years. He's won a Calder Cup. He's done all those things. He's been a good soldier. Um, but... At some point, you, you expect a guy to come into camp and say, okay, this Give is me. my year. Yeah. I, I don't care what happens. You know, I'm earning a spot on this team, and I'm going to make it absolutely impossible for management to send me back down. And he didn't do that. Hmm. He didn't do that. Yeah. I wonder to me, you know, I wonder as well, is, is Lilligren the type of player uh, who, just based on the style of game he plays, which is highly skill-based, who just is a better fit at the NHL level than the AHL level. We've talked a lot about it before, and a lot of prospects, young people, young kids have told us this over the years, that they found the hardest transition of their career mm-hmm. was going from, you know, major junior to the AHL or, right. you know, playing in, let's say, Sweden to the AHL. But I've heard some guys say before that AHL to NHL is actually easier, especially if you're a skilled player, because it's like the passes are tape to tape. Just the systems are stronger. Everyone uh-huh. plays a more tidy and organized game. And if you're a guy like Lilligren who can play the game at a high speed, maybe his game actually translates better maybe. to the NHL yeah. level. Mm-hmm. Just playing devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're right about that jump being tough. I think for me it's the decisions that Lilligren makes um, – with the puck sometimes and and even without the puck where it's about how quickly he makes decisions so it's 
it's not necessarily a matter of him putting a pass where a smarter player would have got it and an AHLer missed it. I think it's about him being able to make quick decisions on smaller ice. And obviously he's been here for a couple of years, so it's not new to him, but he's still figuring out how to process the game at a speed where he's not going to cough the puck up, you know, 30% of the time, 20% of the time, whatever it is, it's it's not enough right now to warrant being in the NHL because obviously it's even faster in the NHL. Fair enough. Uh, we've got one last question. It's from <laughs> Athena. See you later. Nice. Great nice. name. <laughs> uh, and Athena, see you later, asks, with the possibility that the Devils draft first overall for the third time in four years, do you think it is time to change the lottery system? Well, I, I think this question applies more or was better fitted for what the Edmonton Oilers were doing several years back. But the fact, to me, the fact that the Oilers have not been able to dig their way out after getting all those first overall picks, including McDavid, only one playoff berth in McDavid, and they seem to be sliding back down toward missing the playoffs again, that proves that even if you have all those first overall picks, it's not a guarantee that you're going to succeed. So I personally think the system is okay. Even though on paper, you, people get mad, oh, I can't believe that this team got another first overall pick, but if the team just is not finding its way out of the hole, then I think that proves the point that the system isn't broken because it's not a guarantee of success. I still think it needs to change. I've I've written this in the past. I think you should be allowed to have two top three picks every X number of years. So let's say it's five years. You can have two top three picks in five years. But if you get into that, if you get into that position again, you automatically move to number six. Mm. And because to me, it's just it just it rewards failure. And um, and 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 it's just it's just like like when every I mean when Edmonton was getting all those picks, the reason why they didn't advance is because they rushed all those guys in. They they mishandled them. They they didn't handle them properly. They you know you look at Neil Yakupov, you look at Jesse Puljujarvi, you look at all you know. I mean, there's a pattern of 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 really mishandling young players in Edmonton before mm. this year. And so if you're going to get all these picks and you're just going to ruin them anyways, then maybe that's maybe that's an argument to say, well, you don't deserve nice things. Right. You don't get nice things because of that. So I, I really do think that there needs to be some kind of, you can only have the first overall pick, say, once every th- three years. Three years. Yeah. And you can only have, let's say, three f- top three picks in five years. Mm. I'll, put, like I'll put one tweak on your idea, and that is... If you are outside the top three or maybe even top five in the standings and and win that pick via lottery, as you know, we saw Philadelphia move up quite a bit, you know, and New Jersey with the Heischer pick, uh, then you you still get it. Like if you if you don't try to fail and and you still win the lottery, I think that's cool. But if you're consistently finishing in the bottom three of the standings, yeah. then I... I, I, had an, I had another one, too, at one point. I was like, once you're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, your, your, win, your winning percentage the rest of the season and the team with the best winning percentage after it's been eliminated from the playoffs uh, I love that. gets the first overall pick. That, that, How about fun. that? And then and then yeah. you go in descending order. So if you right. if you totally suck after after you after you're eliminated from the playoffs, you get like the the fifth, fourteenth. Yeah, I, I mm. think that's great because 
the I think the heart of what we're talking about. I don't think it's about the team succeeding or failing. It's about entertainment and, and boredom. So t- because the fact that the Oilers have not succeeded with all those first overall picks, it proves that it's not a guarantee of success. Mm. But what it is when that happens is boring. I think that's what we're actually really feeling deep down. Is if the Devils got another first overall pick, our reaction might be like, uh, again, like. But it's not for. There's no vested interest in the Devils' success. It's more just for the sake of fun. It's exciting seeing a first overall pick go to a new team every right, year. Right. So I think that's what it's more about. It's the entertainment value. And they're not the, the Devils aren't aren't getting these first overall picks because they're the worst teams. They're getting it because they win the lottery. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like they're not get they're not getting it on that merit that you talk about. If you're True. so bad, yeah. you're True. so bad. Right. Anti-merit. They're getting it. They're getting it because they're jumping up four or five spots yeah. in the lottery. Right. Very yeah. good point. Okay. Yeah. Well, that is it for this week, everybody. Thank you for listening and watching. We'll be back soon. Next up, we have a World Junior Championship preview podcast Mm -hmm. starring Ryan Kennedy. That's coming later this week. When is it coming, Stephen? We don't know. Probably Friday or Saturday. Okay. Probably. We will announce it when we know exactly when it's coming. And all the best of the season to everyone. Yes. Yes. Happy holidays, everybody. Ken and I will be back on this podcast in a couple weeks. See you later.